Marathon Medic podcast. I'm your host, Amy Bolsch, a doctor and running coach with an interest in sport and exercise medicine. These podcast episodes are all about physical activity, exercise and health, and today I'm joined by Dr. Nikki Kay. Nikki is an endocrinologist who works mainly with exercisers, dancers and athletes. She's an honorary clinical lecturer at University College London, and she lectures and researches in areas of exercise endocrinology. She has specific interests in relative energy deficiency in sport and athletes navigating the perimenopause and menopause. Nikki recently released a book, Health, Hormones and Human Potential, a guide to understanding your hormones to optimise your health and performance. So on this episode of the podcast, we'll be exploring some of the topics featured in Nikki's book, including the main hormones involved in exercise and performance, how we can optimise our hormone health and how this might change with age. Hi Nikki, thank you so much for joining me on this very, very cold morning. I really appreciate your time in discussing this really interesting uh, and important topic. For those who maybe don't know who you are, um, would you mind just explaining a little bit about yourself and also about your new book as well? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me. So I'm a medical doctor. My name's Dr Nikki Kay and I specialise in exercise endocrinology. So I have a passion and a real interest about in hormones and specifically what's the link between hormones, exercise, nutrition, i.e. lifestyle choices and our health and our performance. And because I've been sort of, um, you know, researching this, dealing with people in a clinical situation, athletes um, of all levels, dancers of all levels, trying to figure out how they can reach their full potential by really harnessing their hormones. I decided to write a book, as you mentioned, uh, on on this topic, everything I've I've learned over the last 30 years. So the hormone, the book, <laughs> I've given away the title already. Uh, the book, unsurprisingly, uh, is called Hormones, Health and Human Potential, because that's what it's that's what uh, I think it's all about. It's trying to each of us reaching our full potential whatever that looks like for us. You know, everyone will have different um, objectives, goals, but for all of us, the thing that we all have in common is that we have the tools, we have the power through the knowledge of our hormones to try and achieve that. When did the field of exercise endocrinology develop? Is this something that's relatively new or has this been kind of growing throughout your career? (laughs) I would like to claim that I I, I invented it. No, but seriously... um, I think that uh, I've always been interested in exercise and sport. As a youngster, I was a competitive swimmer, playing tennis competitively. I've always danced throughout my life. In fact, I was thinking about being an, uh, you know, uh, a dancer. I auditioned for the Royal Ballet School when I was a teenager. But even at that age, it was really fascinated me. You do this exercise, this training, um, in the hope and the expectation you will improve. But then it was always sort of slight mystery to me. I wanted to know why, what, how did that translate? Going to my dance class and then the next day or in a few days' time, I would be able to be a better dancer. It's like, well, what's actually happening inside the body? What, what, you know, what's going on? And so initially I thought, well, I'll do, I'll, uh, I wanted to do medicine because I'm fascinated by the body and, and uh, you know, application of that. But then Sports medicine was a word, something I had in my head. Oh, that sounds like uh, that would fit. But that was very much in its infancy, because uh, I'm quite old now, by the way. And also, there seemed to be quite a lot of emphasis at that time, and even now, on injury. 
And uh, I don't know. I mean, of course, that's a very important area and we all get injured from time to time. But to me, I wanted I wanted more detail. I wanted something. I wanted this to answer this question for myself. What drives adaptations to ex- to exercise? And then I began to realize that it was actually the answer was in hormones. And also the other thing attracted me to the field of hormones and exercise endocrinology was that um, it's really complicated. And I love a challenge. I love detective work. I love things that are not obvious, that you really have to puzzle over and figure it out. So those are all the reasons why I steered that way. First of all, towards endocrinology. And then um, one of my first research posts was at St. Thomas's Hospital as part of an international team. We were working out um, an anti-doping test for growth hormone in athletes. So also, I, it, that also made me realize that getting closer and closer to this answer, what's driving adaptations, hormones. Because if athletes, 75% of doping offenses are with hormones, it's like, well, there must be something in this. <laughs> you know, not that I'm advocating doping, but there must be a legal way of doing this, you know. And so that's what led me down this uh, this path of exercise endocrinology, which is sort of like a subspecialty, well, that I've kind of invented, if you will, specifically of endocrinology, like focusing particularly on uh, people. I really want to emphasize people of all levels of sport. So I'm not talking about elite athletes. I am, well, I mean, I'm including elite athletes, of course, but I think anyone that intentionally does exercise, that's, that's to my mind, an athlete because you're doing it intentionally to try and improve either your health or your performance. Anyway, so that was a very long-winded description uh, of why I got drawn into this this uh, particular field. And before we explore that a little bit more and the, the role of hormones in performance, it might just be useful to get a definition from you of exactly what hormones are and what we mean when we talk about hormones. Sure. Well, if you read in a uh, textbook, um, it will say um, hormones are... Um, uh, chemical messengers transported in the bloodstream, which is which is true, but it's actually a very boring description. It doesn't really tell you what they do, does it? it just says they're a messenger traveling in the bloodstream. They carry they don't carry a message. They carry an instruction. Hormones are chemical compounds. It's true, they're invisible. You can't see them, can't touch them, which is what fascinates me because they're complicated things. Uh, and when a hormone arrives at a cell, it goes into the cell and makes a beeline for the nucleus. And the nucleus where the DNA resides, it directs gene expression. So it tells the DNA what proteins to produce at what time, which ones, how many, etc. So that's what a hormone does. It brings our DNA to life, essentially. Uh, the big advantage of being a hormone is that because you have a ride in the bloodstream, you can access every single cell in the body, literally. So just one hormone, for example, I often give the hormone the example of estradiol being the most active form of estrogen, that, by the way, men and women have estradiol, um, that, for example, goes in the bloodstream, has an effect on bone, has an effect on muscle, muscles throughout the body, soft tissues throughout the body, has an effect on the gut, has an effect on the brain, and specifically, of course, in women, yes, it has a reproductive uh, function. So you see, and that's just one hormone, by the way, and there's a whole vast orchestra of hormones. So the summary of what is a hormone, it is, it is a chemical compound invisible transported in the blood 
um, having an effect potentially throughout the body. And the effect that it has is that it directs gene expression. It goes straight to the DNA. So it's got a, these hormones have a very important role. And there's a lot of them, many of them, and they're all interacting and, and speaking with each other and, and, and sorting it out and keeping your body in um, optimal health, I would say, is the best description. Homeostasis, keeping everything nice and stable, exactly where it should be. So, yeah, hormones are pretty fundamental. I imagine the list is endless, but in terms of hormones that are key players in exercise, are there a few main hormones that are really important in terms of exercise and performance? Yeah, so just to, to lead on, just before we go into that, which ones? So hormones I've described are doing, working their magic within your body, but we don't just live in hermetically sealed boxes. We have things going on in the outside, uh, on the outside. So that's in terms of exercise, nutrition, how much we sleep, our lifestyle choices, behaviors, okay? And those uh, are influence our hormones. You, you see what I mean? So there's an interaction with the outside world, um, which is actually pretty important. And this is getting closer to my original question as a youngster. What is the link between doing exercise and getting fitter? You see? So now I've already told you that's, that's the answer. The hormones are the connecting thing. Because the boss, the conductor of the endocrine orchestra is located, no surprise, in the brain. Uh, hypothalamus and pituitary, two of the key um, controllers of the whole endocrine system. Because they're in the brain, no surprise, they can keep a really good watching brief on what's going on inside us. You know, what, what, what needs to be changed, what needs to be um, upregulated, downregulated, but also keeps an eye on what's going on in the outside world. In terms, literally, of the environment, like it's very cold today, but also how much exercise are you doing, what are you eating, etc. So you do some exercise, and uh, you know you do this because you're hoping this will help you get healthier, fitter, etc. Right? Uh, we do the exercise, and that puts a certain amount of stress on the body. So it stimulates those hormones that are going to back up the adaptive changes to the exercise, okay? Because the body registers, um, the hypothalamus pituitary register, oh, actually, you know, this muscle's done a lot of work <laughs> or, you know, whatever, it, it, it registers that. It's like, okay, we need to do something to shore that up. We need to make sure we get more muscle proteins produced to repair any micro damages it, uh, like this, you see. We need to make some, uh, we need those hormones that are going to back up the um, fitness, the improvement, uh, improvement in fitness, okay, in terms of the metabolic health. So which, which hormones are we talking about? We're talking about particularly the anabolic hormones, so the tissue-building hormones. Growth hormone, you remember I said I was developing an anti-doping test for a growth hormone a way back. And so growth hormone, the two stimuli for growth hormone relief are sleep and exercise which is the other key thing I want to say, when do you get fitter? You don't get fitter when you're actually exercising. You actually get fitter when you're asleep. Huh. Because when you're asleep, then you can back up uh, the adaptive changes. So growth hormone, for example, will be increased. So growth hormone is, is, the, is the key one for body composition and metabolic health. Other anabolic hormones, of course, testosterone, men and women would be another uh, key one. Uh, and also... Um, more complicated sort of metabolic health, insulin sensitivity, uh, metabolic flexibility that will be developed. As you're asleep, all the hormones are backing up 
the adaptive processes because it takes some time to get all the proteins to be produced that you need to dry the fitness. So quite a lot, those are the key players, but quite a lot of these hormones are involved in driving the adaptations uh, to exercise. But the other key thing I want to say is that they happen in the recovery period, in during, especially during sleep. When we talk about, oh, I want to get fitter, I need to do more training, um, you have to remember you have to balance that with recovery. You can't train 24 hours a day because you definitely will not get fitter. You need to factor in the, the recovery time so the, the hormones can drive the adaptive uh, changes, responses. So you, you've, you've mentioned sleep there, which is obviously a really important one. But are there other things that we should be doing in terms of making sure we've got optimal hormone health that can therefore support our exercise and uh, performance, but also our, our health in general? So the sort of triad, think things always seem to come in threes, don't they? Um, so it's the exercise, sleep, and then the third bit of this triad uh, would be nutrition. So you need to be fueling appropriately for obviously for your basic requirements man woman what type of job are you or study or whatever you're doing uh, but also what type of exercise are you doing um, and how much of it and the intensity the training load effectively right so that's intensity times duration so nutrition is super important if you are doing a lot of training actually you have to make sure you're have, getting enough uh, and also particularly Lots of the hormones, especially the reproductive hormones, um, although I'm calling them reproductive hormones, it's way beyond reproduction. Um, you know, testosterone and estradiol, um, like we described, anabolic um, hormones. Um, but uh, those particularly like complex carbohydrates. So the other key thing is nutrition. Have you got the right spread of food types? Have you got enough of it? And are you timing it correctly? Hormones don't like stress. They don't like fasted training at all. Uh, that's just going to whiz up your cortisol and suppress all those anabolic hormones. So you have to be mindful of your nutrition. Are you eating the right spread of things, uh, adequate amount, but also is the timing uh, good? Just And that's just as important as the exercise itself. You see, I think lots of people think, oh, I just need to do loads of training and then, then, then I'll get fitter. But actually, you have to think about the other, you have to, weave into that your recovery the sleep and the nutrition and you mentioned there about the timing in terms of nutrition but actually is there a time of day where it's more optimal to do exercise and specific types of exercise in line with our hormones because we know that a lot of our hormones do have diurnal patterns of variation so actually should we be adapting when we do our training to kind of work in line with our hormones rather than against them well, absolutely. Well, you definitely want to avoid scheduling conflicts. I'll tell you some, an example of this. It's really, really bad for your health being a junior doctor, <laughs> isn't it? A scheduling conflict, i.e. your hormones have got their own little internal clocks running very nicely, thank you, and you try and go against that, that ends up in a situation we call circadian misalignment. So there's a misalignment. So, you know, as a junior doctor, not getting much sleep, I don't know if it's hopefully it's changed since <laughs> I did it back in the dark ages. But, you know, um, just trying to feeling so tired and just trying to put your head down at 2 a.m. And then the moment you put your head down and shut your eyes, then suddenly your the crash bleak glows or something. So that was, uh, you know, so that that's an example. That's what you want to try and avoid. 
uh, in terms of exercise, well, definitely don't do it at 2 a.m. in the morning, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it is a challenge because not only are we talking about what's the ideal time to exercise, is something different from when realistically can you, for example. So there could be an argument that you might want to exercise, you know, sort of when you wake up because you've got the cortisol awakening response after having breakfast, of course. Um, and so that might be a good time. Although there is some debate, maybe the uh, glucose control isn't quite so stable then because of the cortisol. Um, but some, I think the long and short of it is that lots of people find that sort of later in the afternoon is the ideal time to exercise. And the example I give is at um, one of the Olympic Games. I can't remember one ex- which one exactly, but there was, there was a, a scheduling conflict in the terms of the TV rights with America. And they were saying for the swimmers, oh, we need you, the swimmers, to do the swimming finals in the morning so it can be broadcast um, for the U.S. at a good time. And the swimmers are really upset because they know that actually you perform, typically you do the heats and everything in the morning and do the finals in the, in the later afternoon stroke evening, you see. So um, it's when we say scheduling conflict, sometimes there are things like that. Uh, not just the US TV, but, you know, your work, your life. And when when it, when can you go swimming uh, as a youngster? Swim training was 6 a.m. because that's the, you do it before school, before work. And that's, you know, maybe not ideal. But fortunately, there is a degree of um, circadian entrainment. So you can, um, you know, sort of get used to doing that. And you have to put in, I mean, it's tedious. You have to make sure you get up early to have something to eat and go to the pool. And, you know, it's just like a little bit. Uh, tricky like that but in the ideal world um there's going to be a lot of individual variation there are there is such a thing as morning larks and night owls okay some people just are morning people evening people but i think generally people are saying that probably the afternoon is ideal you've got to factor that in with life and reality and maybe making things even more complicated um obviously we can now take external hormones in the form of contraceptives or uh, hormone replacement therapy, HRT. How does that play into the role of hormones and exercise and performance? Do, do Have we noticed any patterns in terms of changes in performance on certain contraceptives or after taking HRT, for example? So HRT, hormone replacement therapy, as you say, and that's uh, specifically we're talking about for women um, who reach the menopause and whose ovaries retire, so they're not producing estradiol and progesterone anymore which are really important um you know for health because the main cause of death after the menopause is cardiovascular disease not breast cancer by the way and of course osteoporosis so from a health point of view these hormones uh you know the body misses them but also um you know from an exercise performance point of view these hormones are important for metabolic health and body composition so it can be more challenging as a master's athlete once you uh, reach the menopause or in the lead up to the menopause and afterwards, you know, and, wh- and why shouldn't masters athletes be continuing to dance, to train? I said dance because I'm, <laughs> I'm still dancing and, you know, doing whatever your activity is that you enjoy and love. So I think HRT is definitely um, beneficial. Of course, you should have a look and it's a good time to review what you're doing in terms of what training, make sure you're including strength tra- training Make sure the nutrition that you've got a really good intake of protein. So there are definitely things you should do to review 
your training schedule and those other things. But then HRT certainly can help, number one, quality of life, long-term health, and effectively help you continue doing what you love doing. So HRT, I would say, is definitely a positive thing. And uh, But one little word of warning, though, for women, although testosterone can be given for reduced libido, but you, if, you're, if you're an athlete competing in, um, you know, uh, events under uh, doping regulations, it's on the banned list still. That's a different argument, isn't it? Whether it should be or not. But anyway, because you're only bringing it up to physiological levels, it's not a performance advantage. But anyway, just a word of warning there about the testosterone. So that's HRT. So that's sort of straightforward. Yes. Yes is the answer. The contraceptive or hormonal contraceptives, more specifically uh, for women, that's a little bit more of a tricky one because hormones, um, out of all the hormone systems, the female hormones are the most complicated and the most beautiful, by the way. Uh, and so every woman we slightly different in terms of how her hormones fluctuate over the menstrual cycle, the timing of them, the levels, and how her biological response to those. You know, you'll see a lot of stuff out there saying, oh, all women should be amazing and do strength training just before ovulation. For some women, that might be true. For others, it might not. It might not. It might be the total opposite. Like a professional cyclist said recently, actually, that was the worst time of her cycle, but because of all these messages, she thought there was something wrong with her. Um, so, you know, just bear that in mind. Every woman is individual, how they respond to their menstrual cycle. And therefore, by the same, you know, uh, argument, every woman will respond slightly differently to hormonal contraception. If you're a woman, so first of all, of course, it's entirely your choice as a woman. What form of contraception do you want to use? That's, that's, that's you know, your choice. For some medical conditions, actually, the combined oral, which suppresses all the hormones, is quite handy. Well, quite effective, useful, important. Endometriosis, for example, right? Um, PCOS, it lowers testosterone. You've got lots of problems with skin. So there are some medical conditions where actually the combined oral is, is you know, a good choice. But for other women, you just have to, if you're an athlete or an exerciser, it's difficult to say. We don't really know because it will be an individual response. Some women will say, oh, I feel better. Some women will say, actually, I feel worse. I mean, what I, we do know is the combined oral will suppress all your hormones. That's how it works. So that's not always a great thing, especially if you haven't got regular periods already. And so, by the way, not, I got nice. To, I asked nice if they would change their guidelines earlier this year. So if you're a woman who hasn't got periods, your periods have stopped because you've got an imbalance between your training and nutrition. We're talking about REDS, relative energy deficiency in sport. Absolutely, the combined oral contraceptive pill should not be given, okay, because you've already got suppressed hormones. So you're just going to make, you know, suppress them more. That's not helpful. So that's changed. So that's a situation where actually it would not be a good idea. And if you're a woman that's already experienced a lot of premenstrual issues, so that's um, the two weeks before you have your period, uh, after ovulation before the next period, in those two weeks, if you have a lot of premenstrual issues, then uh, which are caused by the big increase in progesterone, taking the progesterone-only contraception, guess what? It's not going to be a good idea. If you're already sensitive to progesterone and you put in a whole load more, mm, you're prob that's probably not a good idea. So... It's a very individual choice. Do you want to use hormonal contraception? By the way, there are non-hormonal types of contraception. So 
have you really considered those first? Um, uh, and then for you as an individual? I think when we think about big hormonal changes in life, menarche and menopause are the ones that, that come to our mind. Are there any other points in life? And I, I suppose for men as well, because I don't think we often think about the hormonal changes that occur in males uh, over the lifespan. Are there any other big points in life where actually the hormones change quite a lot and we should be a bit more aware about what's going on? We might need to change the way that we're exercising and training to try and optimise our performance and, and general health. Mm. Well, you mentioned menarche, so the start of periods in women, but also puberty in general, I suppose we're talking about, because there is a big explosion in these hormones, these reproductive sex steroid hormones for men and women at that in those teenage years. And so they're not yet ready to train as, as adults. Uh, and my son's had a, an excellent triathlon coach that was pretty, you know, it's like, no, until you are, you know, well into puberty, 15, I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to, to train more than X number of hours. And we'll be going to be focusing on technique and enjoyment, not, you know, um, really hard uh, anaerobic, uh, high-intensity training. So that's, for men and women, I think that's important uh, just to be aware of that for the youngsters, not to push too hard too soon because the hormones haven't fully developed and nor has their bone health, by the way. They haven't reached peak bone mass yet. So you need to be a little bit careful. Um, and then the other sort of change uh, that happens, we've already alluded to it for women, the menopause. So, yeah, as you get older, unfortunately, things start to wind down. And this includes growth hormone for men and women. And remember, we said growth hormone is very important for driving the adaptations um, to training. So for all Masters athletes, men and women, um, certainly in the 40s, 50s and beyond, um, it's really good idea to re review your training schedule and make sure that you are, have got that um, strength training in included to compensate for the decrease in growth hormone. If like me, I have to admit, I don't like really going to the gym. In fact, I rarely do to do weights. So if when you when I say the word strength training, if that fills you with horror, I, I understand. Um, but there are other ways of doing strength training. I'm a Pilates teacher as well, for example. Uh, you know, body weight, uh, resistance band, hand weights. Um, so don't let that put you off. It's better to try and do some strength training to compensate men and women for that change in, in growth hormone. That's really the super important thing okay and you will need more recovery you need the recovery we said to drive the adaptations um dependent on the hormones if the hormones are a little bit sluggish you're going to need to give them more of a chance so that's why you need more recovery men and women for men uh there is a slight decrease in testosterone after 50 if you you know the range just just shift by um you know a few units uh but this contrast to female hormones that do take an absolute nosedive. There's a diagram of this in my book, by the way. You can see what I'm talking about. So for men, yes, we sympathize. You've got a slight decrease in testosterone, but realistically it's not the same, it's not the same as the menopause. And you can definitely compensate for that slight decrease through the things we describe, through the strength training, through uh, you know, nutrition, making sure you're getting a decent amount of uh, protein particularly, okay? Vitamin D, interesting as well. Vitamin D is actually a steroid hormone and it has a synergistic effect with these sex steroids. So if you're not already taking 
uh, vitamin D supplementation, make sure you are, okay? Because the main source of vitamin D is the action of sunlight on the skin. I don't think many people realize that. So even if you eat loads of foods with high vitamin D uh, content, you cannot get sufficient from your diet alone. It would depend on sunlight. And, uh, you know, uh, sunlight in the UK, as we know, is a premium. And, you know, during the winter especially. So even if you were to brave the cold and walk around naked all over winter outside, you still would not get enough sunshine on your skin. So everyone will hopefully be relieved to hear to avoid frostbite, just get some vitamin D supplementation. Um, so that's actually quite such a simple uh, thing, isn't it? Um, and that's with men and women. So, yes. Um, so there we go. That's those are the main sort of flashpoints. How do hormones affect our health when we consider the role that exercise plays? That's probably a, a big question. But obviously, we know that exercise makes us healthier. Um, but actually, how is exercise doing that and I appreciate that's that's a really big answer um but maybe you could just touch on on a few changes that happen as a result of hormones well um the anabolic effect of doing exercise you know keeping us strong and we know that you know now our lives are more sedentary um sitting at desks quite a lot of jobs even you know Jobs that like, you know, being a doctor on your feet. Yes, running around the hospital wards, still going to be quite a lot of sitting down. And we've got cars. So actually making sure that we're doing exercise, which will maintain a good body composition and also metabolic health is very important. You know, we know we have an explosion of um, type 2 diabetes, obesity. So metabolic health. So exercise will help us uh, maintain very good insulin sensitivity. So insulin uh, regulates um, blood glucose concentration. Um, and so if you're eating, a, you know, quite a lot of sort of sugary stuff and not doing much exercise, then actually that's a big challenge. The insulin's got to really pump out hard and the cells get fed up. After a while, they think, oh, not this hormone again. And so that's when type 2 diabetes can develop. So but by doing exercise, we're going to um, help regulate blood glucose and hopefully, number one, prevent obesity and, and maintain good body composition, but also maintain good metabolic health. And that, you know, cardiovascular disease, metabolic, cardiometabolic disease um, is, is the main killer in the Western world. So you're, you're definitely doing yourself a favor, not only from your performance point of view, but from basic health. Those are physical aspects um, of doing exercise to be healthy, but also mental. Health isn't just the absence of disease, WHO uh, quote, uh, you know, uh, criteria for health is not just the absence of disease. It's positive well-being in terms of physical, mental and social health. So if you're exercising, definitely tick physical, uh, also tick mental, you know, because you've got to, if, especially if you're doing it in a group. Part of the reason I go to my dance class is, yes, for the physical point of view. But actually, these are friends I've known for ages. We're all doing the class. It's, it's actually good to have a little chat and, and share something. So, uh, that's good for from the social point of view, but also the mental point of view. Um, you know, you're challenging your body to do something a bit different. In the case of dance, you're challenging it to do physical stuff, but you're also challenging it, I can tell you, <laughs> to remember the steps, to listen to the music, to coordinate it, you see? So that's why it's actually very good for, um, you know, mental agility 
Uh, and also just, you know, doing something different away from work, right? So that's why exercise is um, very good for all aspects of our health. Just touching on the uh, metabolic changes. So you mentioned obviously obesity is a, a massive problem that we have. And I was really interested by the concept of fat browning that you mentioned in your book. Would you mind just briefly touching on, on what that is and the role that hormones play in that? Sure. It's a little bit of a, um, a niche <laughs> research thing, if you don't mind me saying, but I'm, I'm glad you pointed uh, that out. So, I mean, when, you, when I say the word fat, probably people are thinking of white stuff that isn't, doesn't do much, metabolically inert, um, right? Uh, the powerhouses of cells described as the mitochondria, that's, that's where the glucose is burnt, if you will, used up cellular respiration. Um, but if you, the reason why fat is, looks white is because it hasn't got many mitochondria in it. It is not doing much, right? Um, I mean, it's a very high energy source store, but you have to break it down and ship it off to a mitochondria somewhere else. Anyway, there's a different type of fat. There's also what's called brown fat. Hmm. And the difference is brown. It looks a different color is because it got lots more mitochondria in it. So it's very metabolically active. It's burning through the blood glucose and, it, and keeping us warm. And so wouldn't it be lovely if we could brown, <laughs> sounds like sort of frying it, but anyway, wouldn't it be lovely if we could change the white fat to the brown fat, because then it would be metabolically active. Um, but there is this uh, new hormone, our sarin is meant to be this hormone that drives that change from the unmetabolically active to the more metabolically type of fat. And it's thought that, you know, exercise can promote that. So, I mean, that's a slightly obscure. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, it was actually some research by my colleague Kate Asperman in the States, but I just came across it and I thought, well, that's interesting. That's not talked about much. So we talked about all the things that I think, you know, the advantages of doing exercise on health in terms of being fitter and, you know, mental health and social health and all these things. But this could, and certainly normally one thinks about, insulin sensitivity and controlling blood glucose in terms of metabolic effects and changing body composition, uh, producing more muscle than fat, because muscle definitely has got lots of mitochondria, right? That's really going to um, support metabolic health and burn, respire the glucose. But the, yeah, there's this fat browning thing, which maybe also uh, is occurring as well. Yeah, I'll we'll have to look out and see see if any more research comes out about that then in the, in the coming years. Perfect. That's been um, a really interesting conversation. And obviously, uh, there's so much more we could talk about just because of the, the volume of hormones that there are. Um, but is there any final comments that you wanted to make um, for the listeners? Well, do have a read of my book. It will cover some of the things we've talked, uh, spoken about. And also, well, it's got lots of graphs and, and diagrams. And I try to make it like that. And I'm trying to make it a book that uh, you can read. You don't have to be medically qualified. So it's a book for everybody. But if you're particularly um, like into your, your fat browning or whatever it might be, there will be there. And there are lots of references, aren't there, at the back. So if you really want to get into detail, nitty gritty of it, you can go and look at those um, references. But uh, anyway, so yeah, have a look at the book. But the reason also um, the quote I used to start the book is what Hippocrates said. He was an ancient Greek, by the way, lived um, over 2,000 years ago. And he said, if we could give each individual just the right of exer 
amount of exercise, just the right amount of nutrition, not too little, not too much, we would have found the surest way to health. This guy was really onto something, wasn't he? Um, so he, again, was emphasizing that we have control over our health through these choices of our behaviors. But when he said that, he didn't know why that was right. But we know why now. We know it's exercise endocrinology, isn't it? It's the hormones that are driving these adaptations, these changes to what we do. So I just want to, you know, say that that is really um, to encourage people that hormone knowledge is power, right? So you can, it will empower you to make the, hopefully the righteous choices for you are going to help you, uh, lead you on that path uh, to surest, uh, safest health. Um, so, yeah, please have a look at my book and, and uh, hopefully people find that interesting. And also, um, if people, uh, you know, want to come and see me, I offer virtual advisory appointments to discuss any of the things we've said, uh, whether it's HRT, whether it's uh, a younger athlete, whether it's you're thinking, oh, maybe REDS or overtraining syndrome, you know, any aspect that we've talked about and whatever level of exercise you are. So please get in touch on my website, uh, nikikfitness.com. But really the final, just one thing, um, hormone knowledge is power. A huge thank you to Nikki for joining me on this episode of the podcast. If you want to hear more from Nikki, then you can find her on Instagram at nikikfitness or you can visit her website, nikikfitness.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it and give it a rating and do get in touch if there's topics or guests who you'd like to see on a future episode. If you'd like to hear more from me, then you can head to marathonmedic.com where you'll find more podcast episodes, blog posts and coaching information. You can also find me on Instagram by searching Marathon Medic. Thanks so much for listening. 